Well, good morning. Happy Mother's Day. I googled mother this week and went to that source of all knowledge, Wikipedia. Here's their definition for a mother. A mother is a woman who has raised a child, given birth to a child, and or supplied the egg which in union with a sperm grew into a child. The definition can also be extended to include being the animal that donated a body cell which has resulted in a clone. Because of the complexity and differences of a mother's social, cultural, and religious definitions and roles, it is challenging to specify a universally acceptable definition for the term. And I think what they did was they looked at the biological elements, and when they finished that, they just threw up their hands and said, it's too complex and challenging to really define a mother. And that's really true in many ways. Someone has said, no painter's brush nor poet's pen in justice to her fame has ever reached half high enough to write a mother's name. But you know, it's, there are certain things we hear about a mother that are universally acceptable as true. Let me share some of those with you. Here are statements people have made about a mother. This one's author unknown. Being a mother means that your heart is no longer yours. It wanders wherever your children do. Robert Brault said, A mother is the sunshine of our days and the north star of our nights. T. DeWitt Talmadge said, A mother was the bank where we deposited all our hurts and worries. William Makepeace Thackeray said, Mother is the name for God in the lips and hearts of little children. Geneva Jordan said it this way, A mother is a person who's seen there are only four pieces of pie for five people, promptly announces she never did care for pie. And Robert Brault again said, A mother is the person most likely to write an autobiography and never mention herself. Those are good. But if you want a thorough definition and description of a mother, you have to turn to the Word of God. And we have that recorded for us in Proverbs 31. In Proverbs 31, verses 10 to 31, we have a description of an excellent wife and an excellent mother. Now, before we start into this passage, let me clarify some things about this chapter. First of all, it's not written by Solomon. 95% of Proverbs is written by Solomon. This chapter is not. If you look at verse 1, it begins the words of King Lemuel. 
And when we get to verse 10, he says, an excellent wife who can find, it's probably good that Solomon didn't write this because obviously he couldn't find a good wife. He married a thousand of them. Secondly, even though it's written by a man, it's not written from a man's perspective because if you look at verse 1 again, it says the words of King Lemuel, the oracle which his mother taught him. So this is a mother telling her son what an excellent wife looks like and what an excellent mother looks like because she wants him to choose wisely as he selects his wife. This is the picture of what she looks like ingrained in his mind so that he will choose wisely when he chooses a wife. You say, well, I thought in the Old Testament the parents got to pick the wives for their sons. That's why I wanted to live in the Old Testament. Well, they all didn't do that. Think about Jacob. He picked Rachel over Leah. Samson picked his wife. David picked his wife. Obviously, Solomon picked and picked and picked his wives. Third thing, this is not an actual woman, it's an ideal woman. So ladies, don't be intimidated by this chapter. This is a mother setting the bar for her son on what she wants him to reach out and find. And I'm sure if most of you ladies, if, if King Lemuel brought you home to mom, she would approve of you. Fourthly, verses 10 to 31 is an acrostic in Hebrew. And the first letter of each one of these verses in sequence give us the Hebrew alphabet. So it's really A, B, C, D, and so on in the Hebrew, starting each one of these verses. And I think it's probably written that way to make it easy to memorize because you know what the first letter is for each verse. But I think it's also written this way because it expresses the fact that this is the description of an excellent wife and mother from A to Z. Now to help us capture this picture, I'd like to frame it this morning in the context of a recipe, something most mothers are familiar with. And I want to present it as the recipe for a mother. And I want us to imagine we've got a big mixing bowl. And we're going to throw into that bowl the ingredients that make up an excellent mother. And I listed four. They're in your bulletin. Number one, you have to add lots of rolls. Make sure you spell that right. R-O-L-E-S. She's not one-dimensional. A mother wears lots of hats. And the first one she wears that's mentioned here is that she is a wife. In verse 10, an excellent wife who can find, for her worth is far above jewels. Now, not every Proverbs 31 woman is a wife. Some might be single women. In fact, the person that King Lemuel's mother is writing about initially is a single lady who is going to show these kind of attributes, and then she wants him to marry her so that she becomes a wife and ultimately a mother. So if you're a single lady here, you can look at this chapter and say, these are the kinds of things I want to start developing in my life for the future if God calls me to be a wife and a mother. But the first thing I want you to note about 
her role as a wife is that it says she is more valuable than jewels. Men, you need to recognize that your wife is more precious to you than your car, your house, your 401k. She is your treasure. And why is she so valuable? Well, look at verse 11. It says, the heart of her husband trusts in her. The person who knows her better than anyone else, her husband, trusts in her. But I love the way this is written. It doesn't say that he is saying, I think I can trust my wife. It says his heart trusts her. She is totally dependable. He can rest on her with his very heart. Now, there aren't very many people you can trust today. Because most people will lie to you. Politicians lie. Salesmen lie. People lie. You have to sort through that. Here he says, this husband has a wife that he can trust with all his heart. And because of that, she's more valuable than anything else in this world. I'm convinced this is the key ingredient to a good marriage. When people come to me for marriage counseling, one or the other is typically going to say to me, I don't trust him anymore. I don't trust her anymore. That trust erodes out of the relationship, and it's hard to build back. And so if you've got a wife that you trust with all your heart, you have hit the jackpot. And not only that, but notice verse 12. She does him good and not evil all the days of his life, or her life. She does him good. Now, when you see the word good here, it's not up to the husband to define what good means. If I ask husbands, what, what's a good wife? You would say, well, she's, she lets me play golf and and fish, and, and, and do what I want to do, and, and she's, she's a good wife. But really, this word good is in contrast to evil. So the idea is she's making him a better man. That's the value of a wife, an excellent wife. She makes you better than you would have been apart from her. What does good mean in God's vocabulary? Romans 8, 28, God causes all things to work together for good. Well, sometimes that good is painful. Sometimes it means trials. What is good in God's estimation? The next verse tells us it's being conformed to the image of his son. So in God's vocabulary, good is being like Jesus. And a wife is positioned in your life to either tear you down or build you up. And if you've got a wife who builds you up to be more like Jesus, you have something more valuable than jewels. And then look at verse 23. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. Now, when you read this passage and you see that this woman is going, 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 working her fingers to the bone, and then you get to this verse, 
and you see that her husband is sitting in the gates, you kind of think, what a bum. But you have to realize that in the context, in cities in that day, the gate was city hall. So when it says he was sitting in the gates, it means he was in a governmental position making decisions over the city and the land. And the implication is that his wife enabled him to achieve that status, which I think is always the case. Because she's doing him good, because she's making him better than he would have been apart from her, he is known and respected in the community. Someone has said, behind every successful man is a surprised mother-in-law. Her first role is a wife. The second role is as a mother. Look at verse 14. She is like merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. She arises while it's still night and gives food to her household. That doesn't say she's a cruise ship, although that might fit too. Driving the kids around all the time. But here it says she's a merchant ship. A merchant ship is filled with cargo. And that's what a mom looks like when she comes home from the store. I remember when I was a kid and mom came home, it was like our ship came in. And we would be going through the bags trying to find the goodies for us. And that day she couldn't just jump in the car and run down to Schnooks. And so it says she had to grow great distances to gather the food. And then when she gathered all the ingredients, it says she got up early in the morning to prepare meals for her family from scratch. She didn't have a can opener. She didn't have a freezer. She got the basic raw materials and food and then had to prepare all that early in the morning. That reminds me of the mother who said, I read recipes the way I read science fiction. I get to the end and say to myself, that's never going to happen. Look at the end of verse 21. For all her household are clothed with scarlet. She's not only feeding her household, she is providing clothing for her household. And in that day, when they made clothing from scratch, oftentimes they didn't dye it any color at all. They just left it that natural color. But she was dyeing the clothing, and her family was looking pretty sharp. They were popping because they were wearing red. You say, well, if she's cooking early in the morning and she's making clothing for her family, she's probably barefoot pregnant and in the kitchen. No. Look at verse 22. She makes coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. She's making them wool. She's making herself linen. So she's dressing a little nicer than they are. They're wearing red. She's got purple, which I like. That's the color of royalty. She's standing out. They're popping. She's really popping. And she's looking nice. But what I like here is that she isn't just concerned that her family is well-fed and looking nice. Because I want you to see verse 27. She looks well to the ways of her household. Underline the word ways. 
She's not only looking out for their food and their clothing, she's looking out for their ways. That means their paths, their behavior, the direction of their lives. This is the essence of a mother. She is directing the paths and ways of her children. And that is a significant role. I don't know how you put a value on that. Someone has rightly said, the formative period for building character for eternity is in the nursery. The mother is queen of that realm. That may be why she's wearing purple. The mother is queen of that realm and sways a scepter more potent than that of kings or priests. In a European city that had produced a large number of great men, a tour, guide, a tour was going through, and one member asked the tour guide, how many great men were born in this town? And the tour guide responded without hesitation, no great men were born in this town, only babies. Babies waiting to be shaped by a mother. An editor for the London newspaper sent Winston Churchill a list of all his teachers from his elementary days on, and they asked him to check the names of the teachers that had had the most influence on him. After doing that, he returned it, but he scribbled this note at the bottom. You have forgotten the greatest teacher of all, my mother. I saw a list of things that mothers teach us, and I changed it around a little bit to fit my mom. My mother taught me about prayer. She said, you'd better pray that stain comes out of the carpet. My, my mother taught me about time travel. If you don't behave, I'm going to knock you into the middle of next week. My mother taught me about logic why? Why? Because I said so, that's why. My mother taught me about patience. You're going to sit there until all that spinach is gone. My mother taught me about weather. It looks like a tornado went through your room. My mother taught me about priorities. If you boys are going to kill each other, do it outside. I just cleaned the house. My mother taught me about perspective. Did you ever hear this one? If you don't stop crying, I'm going to give you a reason to cry. My mother taught me about anticipation. She used to always say, you're going to get it when your dad gets home. My mother taught me about humor. If that lawnmower runs over your foot, don't come running to me. And my mother taught me about poetic justice. She said, one day you'll have kids and I hope they turn out just like you. You have to add lots of roles. She's a wife, she's a mother. There's a third one in this passage, and that is she's a friend. What's a friend? Here's the best definition I've ever heard. A friend is someone who walks in after everyone else has walked out. This lady is a friend. Look at verse 20. She extends her hand to the poor, and she stretches out her hands to the needy. 
The word hand is translated twice in that verse. It's actually two different Hebrew words. The first word is the word for palms. And so, to the poor, she gives her palm, which means she gives them money. She opens her hands and gives them money. To the needy, she reaches out her hands, and that's the word for the muscles in her hands. And so she's providing, she's doing for them what they need. And so there's two different angles here. She is giving money to the poor and help to the needy. You see, she doesn't stop when she has provided for the needs of her family. She reaches out beyond her family to the poor and the needy. She is a friend to the friendless. And then a fourth role. She is an entrepreneur. Look at verse 13. She looks for wool and flax and works with her hands in delight. Verse 15 at the end says she literally assigns tasks to her maidens. Verse 16, she considers a field and buys it. From her earnings, she plants a vineyard. Verse 19, she stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hands grasp the spindle. Verse 24, she makes linen garments and sells them and supplies belts to the tradesmen. It's obvious that this lady has a career. And in most of these jobs, she's the boss. And if you just notice some of the commercial endeavors she's engaged in, she's in the real estate business, she's in commercial agriculture, she's got a vineyard and probably a winery, she's into the retail clothing business, she's purchasing land, purchasing raw materials, she's giving assignments to her employees, and she's making profit. Some people say a woman's place is in the home. Well, this woman is all over the place. She's in the home. She's out of the home. She's a wife, a mother, a friend, a boss. In the recipe for a mother, you have to add lots of roles. Second ingredient, you have to add lots of skills. Mothering is a highly skilled position. And I just picked out a few in here. I'm sure you could pick out more, but I I wrote these four. Number one, she's creative. We we just read the verses that, that describe how she begins with raw materials, flax and wool, and then she grabs the distaff and the spinning wheel, and she forms that flax and wool into thread, And then she weaves that thread into cloth, and then she takes that cloth and makes it into beautiful clothing, and then she dyes the clothes. This lady is creative. She takes raw materials, wool off a sheep's back, and turns it into clothing for her family. She is creative. Secondly, she is strong. Look at verse 17. She girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She's buffed. She's got guns because this is not an easy job. I I saw a quote from the Golden Girls. It said, it's not easy being a mother. If it were easy, fathers would do it. She's strong. 
Uh, she, she's a superhero to her kids. Robert Fulgham said this, One of the very few reasons I had any respect for my mother when I was 13 was because she would reach into the sink with her bare hands, bare hands, and pick up that lethal gunk and drop it into the garbage. To top that, I saw her reach into the wet garbage bag and fish around in there looking for a lost teaspoon. Bare hands, a kind of mad courage. She is fearless. She is strong. A mother's work is never done. It's not a nine-to-five job. Verse 15 tells us she gets up before dawn. Verse 18 says she burns the midnight oil. She's strong because mom is a tough job. If you're going to define mother, you need to know it's not a noun. It's a verb. Milton Berle said, if evolution is true, how come mothers only have two hands? I like that one. Jane Selman said, the phrase working mother is redundant. She's strong. Third skill, she's organized. Look at verse 21. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She plans ahead. When winter comes, she doesn't worry or panic because she's already made provision. You see, the time to make clothes for your family is not when the snow is falling. It's months earlier. And she has planned ahead to do that. She's organized. She gets up early to make food for the day. She makes clothes months in advance. She's always thinking ahead to what needs to be done. She's managing kids, food, time, schedules. Lisa Alther said any mother could perform the jobs of several air traffic controllers with ease. She's organized. Let me add one more skill. And I didn't know quite how to say this. But I'm going to put it this way. She's satisfied. Look at verse 18. She senses that her gain is good. And I think there's a clear reason why that verse reads, she she senses that her gain is good. Because sometimes as a mother, it's hard to evaluate how you're doing. Mothering mothering is oftentimes a thankless job. I mean, you get one day a year, and you get that card, and you hang on to it till next year, and you get another card. And sometimes it's hard to evaluate how you're doing as a mother because mothering can drive you crazy. Jill Briscoe once said, I dream of writing a book about my young children called From Here to Insanity. And I love this quote. I don't know who said this, but it's, at times kids can be a pain in the neck when they're not being a lump in your throat. And it seems like it's one extreme or the other. So even though it's kind of hard to evaluate how you're doing, if you're here as a mother, I trust that deep down inside, you sense that all the toil and labor and sacrifice is worth it. I I trust that you sense that you are doing the most significant job 
in the world. Dwight Eisenhower had two older brothers. While he was president, his mother was waiting for him on one occasion in a public place, and a reporter recognized her and came up to her and asked her what it was like to have such an illustrious son. And she said, which one are you talking about? Because with all three, she sensed that her gain was good. Let me give you a third ingredient. You have to put in the mixing bowl for the recipe for a mother. That is, you have to add lots of qualities, character qualities. And I've picked out at least seven here. I'll touch on them real briefly. Number one is strength. In verse 25, it says, strength and dignity are her clothing. You say, well, he already mentioned strength. Yes, he did, but he was talking about physical strength in verse 17 when he said her arms are strong. He talked about psychological strength in verse 21 when he said she's not afraid. But here he's talking about spiritual strength. She is dressed in inner strength, strength of character. And I love it. He, he, he says she wears it like a tailor-made suit. Now this is the kind of clothes you can't make for yourself. This is the kind of clothes you can't go down to Macy's and buy. David described where this comes from in Psalm 18.32. He said, God girds me with strength. And I think the best place to see this strength in a mother is when she stands up against the storms of life. Quality number one is strength. Quality number two is dignity. In that same verse, it says she's dressed in dignity. The word dignity comes from a word that means worthy. And the idea is she's not proud, but she is confident. And this dignity is a picture of a woman who holds her head high no matter what circumstances she's walking through. We would say today she has class. She has poise because she understands her value before the Lord. Third quality is a crucial one, and that is joy. Verse 25 goes on to say, and she smiles at the future. She has a cheerful personality. She can laugh, and I think that's so important because that sets the tone for a home. Proverbs 17:22 says a joyful heart is good medicine. Having a mother who is happy and joyful is a true blessing. And if you notice verse 13 at the end it says and she works with her hands in delight. Even when she's busy, she's cheerful. She whistles while she works. She's full of joy. And then the fourth character quality is hope. Because notice in verse 25 what she smiles at. It says she smiles at the future. The NIV says she can laugh at the days to come. And when you think about the days to come, what do we often do? We often fret, we worry, we bite our fingernails. 
this lady looks at the days to come and she smiles. She's joyful. Why? Because she has hope in the Lord. And then the fifth quality is wisdom. Notice verse 26. She opens her mouth in wisdom. Charlie Brown said, in the book of life, the answers are not in the back. I used to love those books in school when you could look at the back and get the answer right away. It doesn't work that way in life. Most of the answers that come to us when we're children come from our mother because we ask her all the questions. And she pours that wisdom into us. In fact, this chapter is the wisdom of a mother pouring into her son. Wisdom. I want you to watch a clip here. This is from the movie Ray about Ray Charles. And I just want, to, want you to watch how this mother responds. I hear you too, Mama. You're right there. <laughs> yes, I am. I show you that to remind you that wisdom is not always giving your kids what they're asking for. And sometimes the wisest thing we say to our children is no. 
The mother has the quality of wisdom. Sixthly, she has the character quality of kindness. Look at the end of verse 26. And the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Irma Bombeck said, all mothers have their favorite child. It's the same one, the one who needs you at the moment, who needs you for whatever reason to cling to, to shout at, to hurt, to hug, to flatter, to reverse the charges to, to unload on, but mostly just to be there. That's what mothers are for. Whenever you need her, she may not give you what you want, but she's there. And this mother is not only saying the right things, she's saying them in the right way, with kindness. And then the seventh character quality is the most important of all, and that's faith. Verse 30 says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. The Hebrew word for charm literally means bodily form. And so, a woman's bodily attributes and outer beauty can be deceitful because they will soon pass away. But this verse says, a woman who fears the Lord has something that age and appearance can never take away. And if you have a mother or had a mother who feared the Lord, you're blessed. Robert Brault said, if you had this kind of mother or have this kind of mother, there is nowhere you are likely to go where a prayer has not already been. Now, before we mix the recipe, we've got to add one more thing. And this is something the mother herself doesn't bring to the recipe. Others do. And it's lots of applause. Mom should be getting a standing ovation from several directions. And there are four mentioned in this passage. Number one is her children, verse 28. It says, her children rise up and bless her. Now, if your children are not giving you a standing ovation today, it may be that they need to rise up first, which I think could mean you have to raise them first. And then sometimes they look back and realize what you've done for them. And they're appreciative at that point. Now, if you're a a child, which you all are, you can do that today with a phone call or a card. Or I might give you a better suggestion. You can do it with your life. Because John's words in 3 John 4 express a mother's sentiment. I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children walking in the truth. Standing ovation from her children, second from her husband. Verse 28 at the end says, Her husband also, and he praises her, saying, Many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Here's the opportunity for the husband to praise his wife. You say, well, I'm not very good with words. Then borrow these. Many women have done great things, but you're better than they are. You're the best of the best. You're number one. And then thirdly, and this is the most important ovation of all, it comes from God. Did you see it at the end of verse 30? A 
A woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. God praises her. Reminds me of 1 Peter 3, 4, where it says a woman who has that beauty in the hidden person of the heart is precious in the sight of God. And then there is a fourth applause, and that comes from her works. Verse 31 ends the chapter by saying, Give her the product of her hands, and let her works praise her in the gates. She will be praised by the people that she has been a friend to. It reminds me of Dorcas in Acts 9, where she died and her deeds of kindness and love were evident in the whole community as they came together and talked about her. She came back to life, got to hear about it. Most of us wait till people die to tell them all these nice things. We need to tell them while they're still around. So if you're a mother here today, while you may be underlining a few things here that God would have you work on, I want to remind you, you are praiseworthy. And if you're a husband or a child whose mother is still alive, I trust you'll take advantage of this day to rise up and praise her. Give her a standing ovation and say, you are the best of the best. And in the recipe for a mother, I wouldn't change a thing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your plan of the family. For mothers who love us unconditionally and really display your love to us in real and practical ways. Father, I pray for the mothers here today that you would encourage them today. I pray for those of us who are children and husbands that we would be more appreciative of that woman in our life. And Lord, we pray that today would be a special day of praise and encouragement for those mothers who are doing that great job of shaping children. And Father, we thank you that you are the one who gives them the resources to do that, and we give you ultimately all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.